Welcome to the Already All Around podcast, a conversation where we wade through the struggle of life to see possibilities that abound. I'm your host, Meredith Gudger Rains, and today we are starting a new series on loneliness. The U.S. Surgeon General has declared loneliness to be an epidemic, a factor that increases premature death by 60%. It also, uh, maybe more importantly, severely reduces quality of life before death. There's so much to talk about here, and there are also so many possibilities for improvements. I've also got another weekly goodness and love award to give out, so keep listening for that. Friends, if you used to have faith in humanity, but now you're struggling, you're not alone. This is the place for you. Don't give up. Goodness and love are already all around. So, what's all around this week? Why are we going to start talking about loneliness? Well, friends, let me back up. One thing you should know about me is that one of my core values is community and belonging. If you'll indulge me, a little story from the past. When I was in high school in the mid-1990s, yes, those golden days of the last millennia, I was very involved with my youth group at church. I didn't fit in well at school, or at least I didn't feel like I did, but I did at church. We didn't talk about Jesus much, to be honest, but we talked a lot about racism and social justice and peer pressure. We went on ski retreats and beach retreats and service projects. When I was a young teenager in this youth group, I looked up to the older ones. At school, the older kids treated the younger kids like we didn't exist, you know, on good days. But at church, the older kids like talked to us like we were people. <laughs> I could relax at church. I could be myself. I kind of learned that if I did something embarrassing or dorky at church, it really didn't matter much. It would not be held against me for the rest of my days. There was freedom there to be myself and to find acceptance as myself. When I got to be an older kid, I knew it was my turn, my responsibility to be the role model. I remember one time we were on one of our trips driving somewhere and we stopped at some fast food place for lunch and the youth director kind of pulled me to one side and just made sure that I knew that one of the freshman girls was sitting all by herself and that she didn't seem to have any friends, that nobody had really embraced her, that she'd kind of been on her own since we left. So when I got my food, I went and sat next to her. Now, I was a senior. I was one of the leaders of the youth group. And I'm not tooting my own horn, but I will say people followed me <laughs> and they sat at our table next to me. So before too long, we had people all around us. And I remember this girl's countenance totally changing. She was smiling. She was talking. She was animated. Like she was just physically different. You know, at the end of the year, the seniors graduated and one of our very youth groupy things to do in the 90s was write affirmations. And so I remember, you know, people wrote us notes. I don't remember what anyone said, 
but I remember that this girl wrote me a note and she said, thank you for always being kind to her. She mentioned that time that I ate lunch with her. She said I made her feel like she belonged. I think this is one of the main reasons I became a pastor. There is such power in making people know that they belong. I always want to do that. I always want to give people a community where they have the freedom to be themselves. To me, that's the thing. That is what life is about. Giving people a place to belong is like giving them life. So when I heard a couple months ago that the Surgeon General declared loneliness and isolation to be so prevalent in our country that it's an epidemic, it felt like a personal attack at my core. That so many people should be alone is just not right. And not just that there are so many people who are lonely, but that they think they're the only ones. They are alone in their loneliness. This is not right. We cannot have this. <laughs> Unfortunately, we do. And we have it at every stage of life, in every political persuasion, in all socioeconomic situations, in rural areas and suburban areas and inner city areas. We see it in all different kinds of faiths and non-faiths. As a pastor, I even see it in my congregations. I see it in elderly people whose families have moved away, who have outlived spouses and friends who feel left behind by modern technology and life. I see it in young parents who are consumed by the demands of children, home and work who don't have time to make new friends and who are living without a social framework that I think helped parents in the past. I see it in young adults in our area. They are overwhelmed with the cost of housing and making enough money just to make it. I see it in teenagers who were socially scarred by the pandemic and who think all the awkwardness is just them and who don't really see anyone modeling hope, or care or concern. It's just not right that all these people are so lonely and that they feel like they're the only ones. It's not right that their lives are not as alive as they could be. Do you know what I mean? Like your life is missing the color. It has the shape, but it's missing what I would say the spirit. It's missing the feeling, the joy. Friends, there's good news here. And the good news I think about loneliness and isolation is that this is actually an easy problem to solve. I mean, relative to all the other social problems, <laughs> right? I mean, when it comes to like homelessness and the cost of housing, I honestly feel pretty powerless. Like, what can I do about that? But loneliness, loneliness, that's something I know. I've been lonely and I've found ways out of it. I feel like I have the skills to help make a difference in this area. And I think a lot of us have those skills, have the time, have the inclination. This is one area where I can actually envision a lot of people making a real difference. 
we can start right now with the resources and skills and knowledge that we have today. It's kind of ironic, right? Loneliness is all around us. And just that very statement tells us that so is community. Community is already all around. It just needs our care and attention. So for this series, I'm going to walk us through the Surgeon General's Advisory on Loneliness and Isolation. You can find it at hhs.gov. And I think there's a way I can put a link in like the episode description. I will figure that out. I think this report is so good. It has accessible facts. It helps break down a broad and complex topic into manageable information. And it offers strategies to advance social connection and belonging. Because all the theory in the world doesn't matter if you get tongue-tied talking to that next person and you don't know what to do. I will add to all of this my experience of building community, both in my congregations and through my community volunteer work. We can analyze the problems, identify many solutions, and give some practical advice and tips. And we will have weekly challenges to build community connections. Maybe we could even come up with a prize, like an actual prize, not like the Goodness and Love Award where there's nothing involved. Like maybe we could come up with a real prize that we could send out. All right, I'm going to think about that. Last night, friends, my kids and I went to live music at a waterfront park in a small town near us. It was a completely gorgeous Pacific Northwest summer evening. The sun was slowly angling down behind the fir trees, casting golden light on everything around us. People who had picnic blankets scattered all around this wide slope. They were buying raffle tickets to support the local museum, and there was some great live music. I'd spent all weekend thinking about loneliness and belonging and the Surgeon General's report and my own experiences, and here we all were, together, a community. We were enjoying the beauty of our place. One of our own was giving us some good music. And we all found our way there because we know that these things are good. They're good for our town, our organizations, our people, for us. The band on stage said they'd be playing one of our favorite songs before taking a break. And I recognized immediately that distinctive strain of fast car. I won't sing it for you. There's nothing worse than that. But as I listened, I was struck by the words of the chorus. Apologies for speaking song lyrics. This is like one of my pet peeves, but I think it's better if I read it than if I sing it. Remember how it goes? City lights laid out before us and your arm felt nice wrapped around my shoulder. And I had a feeling that I belonged. I had a feeling I could be someone. Be someone. Be someone. She was there in her city. It was a part of her, and she was a part of it. She had a person beside her who was hers, and she belonged. She was someone. The opposite of isolation is belonging. The opposite of loneliness is being someone. Everyone is someone. Everyone deserves to feel like they are someone. 
okay, you know what a practicum is, right? It's that part of the lesson that's not theory or rationale, but just some straight up practical how-tos. So for our first social connection and community practicum, I would like to offer some tips and tricks from a pastor on how to have a good conversation. Some of these I learned in my formal training, some in informal training, and some are just my own experience and observations. Now I've got six ideas here. They start out very general tips that you can use with the very next person you meet, and then they get more specialized or intense for conversations that might only come around very occasionally. Every conversation and interaction we have though, is an opportunity to love people by listening well. So tip number one, take care with people's names. This is not the time for laziness, friends. Don't say, oh, I'm terrible with names, then call it an excuse for like not putting in the work. You have to put work and care into this. And here's the work. <laughs> when people say their name, listen, just listen, and then immediately repeat it. I'm serious. This is all it is. This is the magic. Just repeat it. You don't need a sentence or verbs or anything. Just say it back to them. So say someone says, hi, my name is Maria. Maria. Hi, Maria. Nice to meet you. See, I repeated it twice. Then ask again at the end of the conversation to make sure you got it. Even if you know you got it, if you ask, it'll show them that you care and you're trying and it gives you another chance to repeat it. It was Maria, right? It was so nice to meet you. I hope to see you again, Maria. See, like right there is like four times of repeating it. So I learned this when I was a camp counselor. I was a camp counselor like three summers when I was in college. We had 60 campers every week, and it was one of our goals to get to know every kid's name by the end of the second day. So like 24 hours after they had gotten there. So dinner on the second day. And we did this by uh, number one, giving everybody a name tag. And these were not fancy name tags. We literally had a roll of masking tape and we would write their name on the masking tape and then rip it off and put it on their shirts. Oh, 90s, the glory days. Then when they came through the line for dinner, we would say their name as many times as possible while we were serving them dinner. So here's an example. Girl comes up, the masking tape on her shirt says, Emily, you say, hi, Emily. I'm so glad you're here. Emily, would you like some grapes? Uh, there you go, Emily. Enjoy your dinner. Now you might sound a little weird the first time, but it really only sounds weird to you. And you will know their name forever. And they will only remember that you know them. No one ever said to me, why are you saying my name so many times? You know what they said to me? How do you know everybody's name by the end of the second day? I have a little bit of a reputation for being good at names. And it's just this, I just repeat it. I listen and then I repeat it. So that's tip number one. Tip number two, ask good questions. I had a whole class in seminary devoted to asking good questions. Seminary is a three-year master's program that trains uh, clergy. In one of our classes, we had to write two questions every night for homework and they had to be good. <laughs> so how do you write a good question? Well, think about what would be interesting to know about a person and craft a question to get to that. So for example, when you meet someone, what's one of the first things you ask them? You might ask what they do, 
What kind of work are they in? The next question might naturally be, oh, how long have you done that? Which will lead to a number. And I'm sorry, but numbers are not super duper interesting. Like they're at least not very personal. They don't really help build a relationship, right? So a better question, for example, might be, oh, how did you get into that? So the example might be, oh, what, what do you do? Oh, well, uh, I raise money for um, a nonprofit that works with kids. Oh, wow. How long have you been doing that? Um, three years. Cool. Three. I've been working for like five years. So yeah, five is more than three, right? You like kind of stall out. The better question might be, how did you get into that? So if someone says, oh, I, I work raising money for a nonprofit that works with kids. You might say, oh, wow, how did you get into that? Blammo. 100% interesting answer all the time. This will lead you to hear some very cool parts of their life story, like how their life has evolved, where they've been, where they started, those formative moments, maybe a decision they had to make. You'll probably hear about what's important to them. In my experience, unless the person really dislikes talking, this one question could lead to an entire conversation's worth of material, and you might not even have to ask much else. So you might want to think up some questions you can use in almost every conversation, like a toolkit. Talking about what people do or did for work will work in a lot of situations, but not all of them. So like, what about people who are too young to have much of a work history, or people who are embarrassed about their work uh, and don't want to talk about it. So some questions I use with anyone over the age of like, I don't know, 30. <laughs> have you always lived here? Now, notice I didn't say, where are you from? Because that can be an insulting question to people. They might think that you're asking them where they really belong. But I find that when you say, have you always lived here? You can lead into, oh, where did you move from? which gives a conversation. Or you can say, wow, you've lived here a long time. What kind of changes have you seen? That's a good conversation starter too. Another good question is like, what are you looking forward to? This works really well at the change of any season, you know, at the beginning of the summer season or the holiday season, but it's a little bit more in depth than like, oh, got any summer plans, which is basically just an itinerary. But what are you looking forward to? Well, maybe they're looking forward to some peace and quiet. Maybe they've been working on a project they'll tell you about. It's just a little bit more open-ended and a little bit more personal without being intrusive. If you get a little bit further into the conversation, you could say, so what's important to you? I think this one might work well, especially with teenagers. <laughs> like they kind of want to cut the crap, right? So what's important to you? What are you really into? What do you care about right now? What would you like more people to care about, right? Basically, I try to craft questions that get at feelings and emotions. So asking like, so what do you like to do? Well, that leads to the title of a hobby. It's hard to keep the conversation. Like if someone asked me that question, I would answer, oh, I like to knit. Cool, 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 cool. If the other person doesn't know anything about knitting, like conversation stalls out. But if you ask, oh, so what's really important to you? Then you get more at the why people do what they do. That's not only more interesting, it's easier to relate to. 
One more specific tip about asking good questions. Try not to start a question with the word why. It's really hard to start a question with the word why and not sound accusatory or judgmental. Just try it. Like, oh, why did you do that? (laughs) Right? Every time I say it, it sounds like, why did you do that? Uh, Why did you choose that? Why did you see? You can do it, but it's really hard. So just try to avoid it. Instead, you can say things like, oh, what intrigued you about that idea? What courses of action did you consider? (laughs) Not why did you do that? What options were open to you? What were you hoping for? What are you hoping for, right? You might want to work on this ahead of time and then add them to your toolkit. And once you have like a half dozen good questions like that, they'll carry you through a lot of conversations. People really do like speaking about themselves. It makes them feel a lot less lonely. So if you've got these questions, you're halfway there. All right, that's number two. Number three, when you're speaking with someone, try to be a non-anxious presence. We talk about this uh, in clergy circles all the time, being a non-anxious presence. Other people might have a lot of angst going on in their life. They might have a lot of things they're worried about. If you are calm, it's going to help them feel calm and safe. So how do you do that? Just focus on the other person and their needs. Set aside all the other things that are weighing on you, all the things you have to do when you're done with this conversation. They will be there waiting for you. There's nothing you can do about it right now. Try to be fully present for the person. Don't look at your phone. Your phone's going to bleep. Just let it bleep. You can read it later. It's probably just that, you know, cleaning app you downloaded four months ago that's telling you it's time to sweep the bathroom or whatever. You don't need to answer the phone. It's not that important. Try not to get distracted by like passersby. I mean, think about it. If someone is talking and telling you about something that's important to them and you're like, oh my gosh, that dog is so cute. Like, obviously, (laughs) they're going to feel like they don't really matter to you. Now, sometimes you can't be a non-anxious presence. Like life conflicts. You do have things that are weighing on you or time constraints. So just name it and then make a specific plan for when you continue. So you can say, oh gosh, you know what? I really want to listen to this, but I have to go pick up my kids right now. Can I call you at 4 p.m.? If you give a plan with a specific time, then people will know you're not just trying to evade the conversation, but that you really want to show them that you care. They won't be offended. In my experience, they'll appreciate that you care enough to make a plan to follow up. And then you both can focus on the conversation. So number three, try to be that non-anxious presence. Number four, these start to get a little bit more um, intense. Here's something that you're guaranteed to experience at some point. Someone we're talking to will be really upset or animated about something that you don't particularly care about or think is a big deal. Sometimes they'll even be wrong. They'll be upset, but you think they're the one in the wrong. You might even be silently agreeing with the person that they're mad at. Maybe the situation is such that they need to be corrected, but if it is, ask yourself, do they need to be corrected right now in this moment or can it wait? If it can wait, like no one is in danger, nothing is going to get lost, then come back to it in a week or so after they've had time to cool down. Most of the time though, the people that you're talking to don't need your opinion. 
They just need to know you care. So even if you disagree with someone's assessment of a situation, you can always validate their feelings. You can say something like, oh, it sounds like you are feeling really afraid. It must be tiring to always feel that way. Having someone understand how they're feeling builds relationships and trust. Having someone understand can usually calm them down as much as if the problem itself were solved. So saying, oh, you don't have to be afraid. That's not a very big deal. That's not going to give anybody comfort, right? That's not going to make it go away because they are afraid. Even if you don't think it's a big deal, it's a big deal to them. A good way to validate people's feelings is by just repeating verbatim what they said to you. This is a very similar philosophy to when you meet somebody and you just repeat their name. So if they said during the conversation, oh, I'm just so fed up and overwhelmed. You can say back to them at another point in the conversation, all this sounds just so overwhelming. You must be so fed up. You are just repeating what they said to you, but they will feel heard, which actually will immediately make them feel better and less overwhelmed. It's kind of like just being a parrot. It's just listening and then letting them know what you heard. This is why sometimes clergy say 90% of our job is just showing up. Show up, listen, show that you care. Tip number five, you should know that the most emotional and important parts of the conversation come at the very end. If people know that the conversation is about to end, there's kind of a safety in that, right? We're almost done. This won't go on forever. I can unload right now and then just escape. <laughs> so practically plan for this. If you're going into what could be kind of a difficult situation or conversation or an emotionally heavy conversation, give yourself some time. If you have to go at like 11 and your loved one knows that, they might tell you something just as you're standing up. So now you'll either be late for your next thing or you'll have to cut them off when they're they're at their most vulnerable and the subject is the most important. You don't want to do that. So just do a little fibbing. If your hard stop is at 11, tell them you have to leave at 1030. So that way, when you get to 1025 and take a quick look at your phone or watch, say, oh, well, I better get going. Then they'll know they only have a few minutes to say what they've really wanted to say all along. They'll say it, and then you'll actually have the time to spend with them without worrying about the next thing. They might feel like you've taken extra time for them and they'll feel honored by that. And then you can leave and you'll probably need some time to kind of debrief or release those emotions afterwards. And you'll want time for that too. You don't want to be dealing with intense matters or especially matters of life and death while you're trying not to be late for your next thing. And finally, number six, now, this is the advice I have for the most intense conversations. And these kinds of conversations we do not have very often. You might have them once a year or maybe a couple times in a lifetime. But when you're in this conversation, this is really important. So here's my last piece of advice. Don't be afraid to ask the hard question. We all have hard, hard questions. The ones we don't really want to admit to ourselves, we certainly don't want to admit them to other people, but they're there. 
If you ask the hard question, trust me, you will not be intruding. It will be a relief. The other person has probably been living with that hard question over and over in their head, and you asking it will save them from having to declare it. One of my heroes, Mr. Rogers, says that anything that is mentionable is manageable, and everything is mentionable. Sometimes we get to a place in our life where we live with something that we just think is so scary we can't say it out loud. So if someone else says it out loud for us, it becomes a lot less scary. And now we can deal with it. And even better, we don't have to deal with it alone because we have someone to help us. So what are these hard questions? Here are some that I've had to ask. Have you been lonely? Just asking that question gives them permission to be lonely. There's so much shame in loneliness because people feel like it's their fault. There must be something wrong with them. Uh, they've done something wrong or made a poor decision. So inviting them to just share if they've been lonely, that's a gift. A lot of the hard questions deal with life and death, right? So people who've experienced a recent loss, it's probably pretty likely that they're thinking about the mortality of themselves and everyone else that they love. So you could ask, has this loss been making you think about your own life, been making you think about the lives of your children or your spouse? Of course it has, but now they can say something. They don't have to bring it up. They can just say yes. And it's out there in the open and you've given them that gift. A really hard question that I hope you never have to ask, but if you're in the position, I hope you do. You can ask, have you been thinking about hurting yourself? If they say yes, friends, then you have to ask if they have a gun. Now we are right up against the edge of my expertise and uh, the edge of any advice that I will give on this subject. But if they say yes, and they do have a gun, See if they will give it to you and then immediately call a professional for help. Every county, every state has emergency numbers that you can call. They will get you the help that you need. So look those up. But usually, if you have to ask, have you been thinking about hurting yourself? That conversation will be healing for the person. They will get to say how they've been feeling and they will know that you care. I was having a conversation with a colleague recently, and I was having a really frustrating time. And I was deeply disappointed by some kind of pain in our world. <laughs> and I just said, how do you go on living with this kind of pain all around? And I saw my colleague kind of uh, get her pastor face on. And we went on and had the rest of the conversation. We said goodbye. And then two seconds later, she flagged me down and called me back. And she just said, I... I heard you say something in our conversation that makes me wonder if I should ask, have you been thinking about hurting yourself? And I said, oh, no, no, I haven't. I saw you that look in your eye and I just, I just get so frustrated and I just used a, a poor phrase, but I really appreciate you asking me because if I'd used that phrase very intentionally, she picked up on the clue and she asked the hard question so that I wouldn't have to. It's scary to ask these questions because they're so direct and they're about such personal and high stakes things. We all feel over our heads 
when we get into these kinds of conversations. But asking them is almost always a gift. In fact, I have never had a situation where I regretted asking the hard question. Thankfully, friends, most of our conversations and most of our interactions are not about hard questions. The thing you can do today is ask someone for their name and remember it. So friends, every week I'm going to give us a challenge to take our practicum and put it into practice. So this week's community connection challenge is to meet someone new, find out their name and learn one thing about them. I am personally halfway through this challenge. I talked to our mail carrier for the very first time last week, and I learned that his name is John. So now I need to find out something about him. And obviously he carries the mail does not count, right? Okay. So I know our mail carrier is John. And next time I see him, I've got to come up with a question I can ask him. Maybe what he's looking forward to about the weekend. Huh, see, it's that easy. You can share on our Instagram at already all around pod or at already all around at gmail.com. Let us know who you're meeting and what their name is. Here's another piece of advice. If you put their name on our uh, Instagram, it'll help you remember it, right? So many ways to remember people's names. Guess what, everybody? We had someone write in with a nomination for a Goodness and Love Award. This person writes, I'd like to lift up all the professionals and volunteers that provide summer camping experiences for thousands upon thousands of elementary, middle school, and high school students. I'm over 80 years old, and I still remember the joy of making lanyards, swimming in a mountain lake, not a swimming pool, the old bunk beds in the camp house and scary bedtime stories, camp meals and KP duty, and the fun of singing around the campfire. Every year with never enough time, never enough resources and never enough recognition, a few summer saints provide another round of lifetime memories for yet another generation of youth. Each of them deserves a huge goodness and love award. This is an anonymous entry from an old guy who still remembers how to make a lanyard, remembers the feeling of lake mud between his toes, and still knows the words to a few of his old favorite campfire songs. Thank you so much for that awesome submission and nomination, and I am super happy to send this goodness and love award to all camp counselors this summer, to college kids working between semesters, to retirees who aren't sure if they're back can take the bunk bed, but have to be there for the kids, to busy working people giving up their precious PTO time to show the kids they matter. Something magical happens at camp when a group of strangers comes together and makes community literally overnight. And it wouldn't happen without these adults giving the goodness in their hearts to kids who will eat it up. So 
thank you and congratulations on your award. Well, friends, that was a lot. Let me wrap up so that we can remember what we've talked about here today. To start our series on ending loneliness, I shared some stories of why belonging and community are important to me. In future episodes, I'll share more from the Surgeon General's report and talk with people who've experienced both loneliness and belonging. Each week, we'll have a practicum and a community connections challenge. For this week's practicum, I offered six tips for being a good listener and making someone feel like they belong. Number one, pay attention to names. Repeat the name of a new acquaintance over and over to help you learn it. Number two, ask questions designed to get at feelings and emotions, not just factual information. Have a toolkit of questions that apply in many situations. Try not to start a question with why. Why not? (laughs) See, it sounds accusatory. Number three, be a non-anxious presence. Anything happening outside of the conversation can be dealt with when the conversation is over. Number four, validate people's feelings by repeating back what you see or hear. This sounds so troubling. You must be so weary. Will make people feel seen and heard. You can always deal with facts in a follow-up conversation later. Number five, the most emotional, vulnerable, and important parts of a conversation come at the very end, so leave time for it. And number six, don't be afraid to ask the hard, unspoken question. You won't be intruding. It will be a gift. And this week's Community Connection Challenge is to meet someone new, find out their name, and learn one thing about them. Share on our Instagram at already all around pod or at already all around at gmail.com. And finally, I gave out another goodness and love award to camp counselors. Friends, thank you for sharing this time with me and for joining me on this series on loneliness and belonging. I hope this time will be helpful to you. And I hope it inspires you to keep going to know that your loneliness will not last forever and that you have it in your power to make a difference in the life of someone around you right now. Just like goodness and love, community is already all around. Take good care, and I'll talk with you next time.